Friends, I am, uh, I, I'm extremely happy to be with you and, and do appreciate uh, Jim and Shara and Chad uh, sharing that song. And, and that particular prayer has been special to me probably since I uh, entered ministry about 38 years ago. That's aging me a bit. Um, but I'm also extremely happy to be with you here. Um, some of you have been around since the inception of uh, contemporary service. So you all are old too. Um, and uh, it, it kind of moved us from uh, Sunday night to Sunday morning and then with a, a start of common grace, friends, I never could have, I never could have dreamed that. And uh, I am so blessed by common grace and by uh, your ministry and, and how you have defined that ministry. Um, I, I, I say about our, uh, our meals over at the Center of Grace, nobody could have imagined when four ladies came and said, hey, could we do free dinners over at Center of Grace? And I said, no, we don't have a budget for it. Um, and they said, oh, that's all right. God will provide. Well, and God did. Um, and oh, me of little faith as the pastor. I sort of felt a little the same way with, <laughs> with the contemporary service. Um, and I, I know God had a vision for who you have become, um, but it was far greater than my own. So uh, I am very happy to be with you uh, this morning. And uh, reading these particular scriptures, I think uh, you will recognize them. This first one is from Micah chapter six. It's one that uh, I think folks both within and outside the church wall know, and I'm, I'm only reading the most famous verse, which is the eighth verse of Micah, which says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which is uh, about 700 years after Micah, the prophet wrote this from, from God's wisdom. Uh, then the Gospel of Matthew kind of says the same thing in a different way. I'll invite you to stand as you're able for this reading from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the 25th verse, beginning with verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in the, in the middle of Advent, when I, when I sort of allowed myself to begin realizing there, there is going to be an end to this, <laughs> and, and uh, with, with limited amount of time, uh, what is it that I, that I most want to, to, to invite the Holy Spirit to bring, a, to bring about through me? Well, I wanted to do Advent. I wanted to do Christmas Eve. I'm not sure I wanted to do Christmas Day Sunday morning, but we did. Um, and, and then I would not give up Epiphany. I love Epiphany Sunday. It's about my favorite Sunday of the whole year because, uh, the, I mean, the journey following a star and all of that. I love all of that. So then all of a sudden I, I, it occurred to me there's only three Sundays left. So how do, how do I try to put together a sermon series in, in three Sundays? Um, and that's when Micah struck. Um, I, I thought, you know, really it, it comes down to this. Um, maybe it would be the best thing to talk about what the Lord requires of us um, in, in three easy sermons. And so um, <laughs> that's, kind of where, that's kind of where I turned. Um, as, as I was thinking about why I love the scriptures so much, um, I, I was thinking there are particular stories that I love. And, and, and you are, all are doing the, the year of the story. And so I thought, well, those, those particular stories are so important to our faith. And yet, if we leave those stories locked in this ancient text, 
they, they don't live. And I thought, well, okay, then, um, rather than talking about the particularities of a story, then I, w- I want us to talk about the gestalt of the Bible, the, the whole picture of the Bible. And uh, about 10 years ago, it was very trendy to, to say, you know, uh, uh, CEOs or, or leaders of organizations need to look from the balcony rather than being on the dance floor, that your perspective from the balcony, you get the whole dance. Well, somebody said that like vastly earlier than that, so you can't see the forest for the trees, right? Um, but everything old is new again. And so, and so I thought, well, I, I want to talk about those, those, those major themes in the Bible because that's the only way it lives, but those major themes speak into the specific stories, and those specific stories speak into the major themes. And, and I think that's where Micah leads us today. Uh, Micah was likely a contemporary of 2nd Isaiah, so he's, he's preaching before the fall of uh, the, the, the uh, northern kingdom to the Assyrians in, in the 700s before Christ, and, and speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah before the fall to the Babylonians in 587. And so, he, as all prophets do, he, he speaks words of, of harshness about the, the political oppression and the, and the economic, uh, and the economic uh, downtrodden that the rich, uh, those of us with relative abundance, by the way, that the rich are continuing to, um, to, to not hear. So the, the widow and the, and, and the orphan and those living in poverty, uh, the stranger in their midst, and they're, they're believing good church people that Micah is speaking to are believing that um, because they're giving offerings to God, that they're appeasing anything that they're not living up to that God wants them to do. And, and frankly, the, the pastors, I'm sure not Kyle, but the pastors, some of them were saying to the people, you're, you're doing just fine. Just keep the, just, just keep the money rolling in and, 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 and I'll make you okay with God. It'll all be good. Just bring the right offerings, you know. And, and people with wealth, you can bring rams. And, and people with wealth, you can bring oil. And, and people with wealth, you can bring calves a year old. And, you know, it's the poor people that have to bring the doves or the sparrows. And, and, so, and so Micah says in the first verse of, of the sixth chapter of, of uh, this book, Micah says, uh, the Lord has a controversy with you. And, and, and I love that. He could have said, the Lord has a bone to pick with you. He could have said, the Lord is angry with you. He could have said, watch out, because when the Lord gets really mad, you are going down, down like a rock flung over a cliff, and God ain't going to save you. He didn't say any of that. He said, the Lord has a controversy with you and, and, and will contend with you. I wonder on this um, weekend that we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., I, I wonder if, if we have a controversy if we have a controversy with the, with, with the way the, the world is, is being lived out uh, among the differences that we have, whether those are differences in the amount of melanin we have in our skin or, or differences in our facial features or differences in our language or differences in our gender, I wonder if the Lord has a controversy with us. I wonder if we have a controversy uh, around those things. You know, we, we, we talk about Martin Luther King Jr., and you can still hear the conversations that say, well, one more government holiday so those people don't have to work and, 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 and don't always remember what this holiday is about and don't always want to remember the life and death of, of Martin Luther King Jr., who was a, a person of faith as imperfect as the rest of us, but who chose to live out his controversy without violence, yet his life ended in violence. Do we have a controversy with that? 
Do, do we want to contend with the world where that's concerned? Or, or maybe Rosa Parks, who, who, who was tired and, and got on that bus and, and had a controversy with the fact that, that persons of color could only sit on the back of the bus, so she sat down on the front of the bus. That, that's how she lived out her controversy. That's how she contended with a, a society that, um, that wasn't being fair. Uh, we, we hear of Nelson Mandela. We know that he was incarcerated unfairly. But that was way over in, in South Africa during the time of apartheid. So we hear all these stories, but do they really affect us? Does it, does it really make a difference to us? Do, do we have a controversy with which we're willing to stand up and take action and, and contend? Maybe all those stories are too far away. The Lord has a controversy with the Lord's people because they are unwilling to look around them and see who's not being treated the way God would have God's beloved children be treated. There's a man named the Reverend Daryl Burton. Um, Pastor Kyle and I both serve on a board with him. It's a board of, district board of professional ministry. I've chaired that board for many, many years. And several years ago, the district superintendent said, um, would you be okay if I put Pastor Daryl Burton on this board? And I said, well, tell me a little about him. And he says, well, um, Daryl is the one you may have seen in the news. He was um, accused and convicted unjustifiably of murder and served 24 and a half years in a Missouri prison for a crime he did not commit. Sentenced to 50 years without possibility of parole. As Daryl's story goes, he wasn't even in Missouri when the, when the murder happened. He was in Washington State. And, and he only met with his public defender once. He lived with his eight brothers and sisters, his mother and his grandmother, and they were oppressed by poverty, and he had been arrested for burglary sometime earlier in that, but he had worked with his parole officer. He had paid the cost of that and worked with his parole officer and was headed to community college when they came knocking on his door and arrested him for this murder. And the trial took two days. And suddenly he found himself, he said, I was sure because I wasn't even there. I was sure I would be found innocent. But he said, in, in two days I was convicted and, and after that sent to this prison in Missouri. And he said, as I walked into that prison, there is written over the gate, leave all of your hopes, your family, and your dreams behind. And he said, I, I spent the first, the first several weeks and months and maybe years angry I was angry because, because we, we, we look at retributive justice. We, we look at justice where we, where we want people to pay consequences, and, and we understand that. We need that for a civil society. But when an imperfect system comes up with an imperfect, an imperfect solution, what happens to the very real human beings that are treated unjustly in that retributive justice system? And so he he started going to the law library and he remembered, he, he remembered his grandmother who drug him to church all through grade school and junior high, as long as she still had power of him. She drug him to church and he would, he would go kicking and screaming. So friends, if you're dragging your children to church, please keep doing it. Kicking and screaming. And she said to him one day as they left church, he said, I may have been about sixth grade. She said, boy, someday you're going to need to call on Jesus and I'll hope you remember him. And he said those words started echoing in my, in my spirit and my mind. And so he said, I, I started going to the library not just to look at law books. I started going to the library to look at the Bible and to read the Bible. And he said, I, I realized I was going to have to start praying. And he said, what I wanted to do was to pray for uh, uh, huge boulders to fall on those who had convicted me unfairly. I, I wanted to pray for those who had, those two guys who had, 
who had misrepresented me, who had, one of them didn't even know him. I wanted to pray for them who had accused him, for, for them to have a bad life. And he says, I was praying, I was praying with gritted teeth, and, and finally I realized I was praying with gritted teeth for their good. And he said, and then I was sitting one Sunday evening with, with, with other inmates, and we were watching 60 Minutes, and he said there was, a, uh, there was a, a, an organization called Centurion back east that was working for people who had been unfairly incarcerated. And so he said, I started writing them letters. And he said, he said they looked into my case, and I heard back from them, and they said, they said, absolutely, we will take your case, but we only do two cases a year, and it will be 10 years before we can get to your case. So he said, I... I stayed, I stayed the course. I sent them letters every two to three years so they wouldn't forget me. And then after 10 years, they came and they took his case. And it was another eight years before they proved his innocence. And he was set free. And he said as, as he came out of prison, he was chanting, praise God, praise God, praise God. And he said my, my, my go-to verse in the Bible that I, that I then centered my life around was, is Luke 23, verse 35. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he has established what's called the miracle of innocence. It is a, a, a branch of the centurion the centurion organization that continues to work for those who have been wrongly convicted. Retributive justice is not a perfect solution. And, and Micah, Micah goes to these people and, and he says, this is, this is what God says to you. What have I done to you? And, and in what way have I wearied you? I, I brought you out of Egypt. I freed you from slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam so that you would know the ways of my salvation. And the, and the people hear the voice of Micah. They hear him because it's not a voice of condemnation. It's a, it's a voice of God reminding them one of the gestalts, one of the holistic themes of the Bible is that God never abandons God's people even when God is the most frustrated. God never stops working with the people. God never stops believing that we can be a best self. And, and they heard Micah's they heard Micah's words, and so they said, and so they say, with, with what shall we come before the Lord? How, how can we appease God? Shall, shall we come before the Lord with burnt offerings? Shall, shall we bring calves a year old? Only the wealthy could afford calves a year old. Shall, shall we bring a thousand rams? Shall we bring 10,000 rivers of oil? And then the pinnacle. Shall we bring our firstborn, the fruit of our body for the sins of our souls? This is how far away from God they have fallen to think that God wants human blood sacrifice. Because what we want to do is we want God just to give us the way that we can be made right. We'll write that check with what can I bribe God. We're, we're offering God what we value, not what God values. We were offering what we value. Look what we, all this stuff we have to give you that we've, we've worked our lives to, to amass this portfolio. Can we give it all to you? And, and, the, and the prophet says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God was not interested in, in, in outer forms of inauthentic, of inauthentic gifts. God is interested, was and is interested in inner transformation, another gestalt idea that runs through the Bible. God's interested in the heart, not just in our behavior. God is, knows that if, if our hearts are changed, then our behavior will follow. Are we as interested in inner transformation? You know, the same message comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, interestingly enough. And it's 700 years after Micah wrote his prophetic book, 
And, and Matthew has this apocalyptic vision, this vision of the end times. And, and he says, well, Jesus will come and, 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 and sit on the throne of his glory and, and with his angels and he will, he will separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep he will say, come you that are blessed by my father into the kingdom that has, that has been prepared for you since the beginning of the world. And we're like, how do we get in? How do we get in? We want to be one of those that's blessed by our father to enter into the kingdom that's been prepared from the beginning of the world, and Jesus said, For I was hungry, and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will say, Lord, when was it that we saw you all those things and did that? And, and he will say, As you did it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. We get stuck on retributive justice. We get stuck on this justice that says, if we can just make people pay consequences, even ourselves, if God will just tell us what the consequences are, we'll, we'll write the check. We'll, we'll give whatever we have. We want to get to heaven. Uh, we want to be part of that kingdom. <laughs> and Jesus says, when the righteous say, when was it we did it? Jesus says, see, they experienced inner transformation. They don't even know that they've been doing the will of God. They don't even know that they've been following in the footsteps of Jesus because it's become natural for them because their life has been changed by the, by the power of Jesus' grace and love. But then the, the, the scripture I didn't read, Jesus goes on and says, the only time, the only time Jesus talks like this, depart from me, you that are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's pretty intense. That's hellfire and damnation. The only place Jesus does that. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you did not give me to drink. I was naked and you gave me no clothing. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was sick and you did not comfort me. I was in prison and you did not visit me. And they will say, when was it that we didn't do that? And Jesus will say, as you didn't do it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you didn't do it to me. Inner transformation moves justice from retributive to restorative. Are we interested in that? Uh, are we interested in restorative justice, not only for those who are convicted wrongly, but for those who are convicted and still deserve an opportunity to know the love of God while they are incarcerated? Or, or do we just want that retributive justice and sh shut our eyes and close our ears so we never have to hear about it again? <laughs> There, there was a woman who came and made an appointment to, to visit with me about three years into my ministry here, and, and, I, and she was very faithful, I do believe that, and, and I give her credit for being willing to come and talk to me, because a lot of times when people get mad, they leave quietly and we never see them, and we don't know what happened. I learned later she sent a, a letter to the bishop, a five-page single-spaced letter to the bishop about me. <laughs> I know, right? She was pretty passionate. And... um. She came in and she sat down and, and with very little um, introduction, she said, I want you to know that you're leading this church into the path of destruction. And I said, okay, hello. And she said, first, you're a woman. And the Bible said women, the Bible says women aren't, aren't supposed to preach. And, and, and I might have said, well, then Paul says later that when women do preach and teach, they should, they should cover their heads. But I guess I'm not doing that either. But I'm not, I'm not sure about the whole and she just stared at me. And she said, you know, you know, you don't talk very specifically about this, but we all know where you stand on all these social issues. 
She says, you want to fill this church with black people. And I said, have you looked around? I'm not being successful if that's really what I'm trying to do. <laughs> and she says, I know you support illegal aliens. And I said, you mean people who are undocumented? Who are trying to give a better life to their children? She said, I'm sure you want welfare for them. I said, for those who are working two jobs and still can't afford to make ends meet in Johnson County. And she says, worst of all, worst of all, we all know you support the homosexuals. And she whispered that, because it probably should be whispered, because it was worst of all. And I said, I said, I see you're very faithful. I said, would you mind if we read some scripture together? And I turned to Matthew 25. And I said, you know, the only place Jesus specifically says that there are people who are cursed and will go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I said, can, can I read you the list of those people who are going to be accursed? <sighs> those who don't feed the hungry or clothe the naked or give water to the thirsty or welcome the stranger or comfort the sick, or visit those in prison. I said, now I have to tell you, I have to confess right here. I said, I have to tell you, um, I do pretty well with feeding the hungry, because, you know, by that time, Carla, we had started those free dinners on Wednesday night at the center. We were only feeding about 65 people, but still, they're hungry. So I said, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well with, I mean, I'm, I'm not cooking, and they're grateful for that. I, I really am a cheerleader. I'm a cheerleader for those who are cooking. I say, you go, you go with that stirring, you go. And, and I kind of entertain the people who come, because that might be my gift. And and I said, you know, I've, I've donated clothes already to the Center of Grace, uh, to the clothing club. I've donated clothes, and um, if you were thirsty, I'd give you a, a drink of water quick, quick as scat I would. And believe me, if you were naked, I, I would. I would get you something to cover you. Um, and I said, you know, I, I'm a pastor, so I've been at the hospitals a lot, so I mean, I've got that one down. I said, but you can look through my calendar, and I don't have an appointment to visit anybody in prison so I wonder if, if I do a majority of this stuff, is that okay? I mean, does, Amen. does there you go. Is, is, is God going to curse those who are doing 90% or is it 70% or, you know, is it C plus or is it graded on the curve, do you suppose? I said, I don't know. Do you, do you have appointments in your calendar to visit people in prison? She said, you're using the Bible wrong. I said, maybe we share that. I said, could, could I pray for you? And she said, no. And I said, okay. <laughs> and she left rather dramatically and rather loudly. And then I prayed for her because that was my little way of, you know, getting back at her a bit. <laughs> prayed good things for her because she couldn't stop me. And friends, I, I didn't feel victorious. I didn't feel like I had won. I, I had not been able to restore relationship. I'd, I'd not been able to find common language. You know, our friend, Reverend Daryl Burton, talks about restorative justice. And do you know what he does three to four times a week? He, he goes and visits men in prison and not just those who are unfairly incarcerated. 
He goes and visits those who he will tell you deserve and need to be in prison for the safety of society. And he says, I bring to them the message of God's grace and love because God wants them restored as much as God wants us restored. That God's vision of justice isn't only retributive. God's vision of justice is restorative. Now, here's my challenge for today. Are we willing to be active in seeking restorative justice for our brothers and sisters who are both unfairly and perhaps fairly incarcerated? Are we willing to open our eyes and ears and realize they, they may be people that we know? I'm not saying any of us are going to be great at walking into a prison directly and visiting those who are incarcerated. Uh, you can get in touch with Daryl if you want to join that ministry. It's called Miracle of Innocence. But friends, there, is, there are opportunities for restorative justice in our community that doesn't have to do anything with prison. There are people being treated unjustly in Olathe because of the color of their skin, because of their language, because of their gender or gender differences. Are we willing to be active in restorative justice? Hear me very clearly. I think Jesus was making a point. I think he was speaking in hyperbole so that the people would listen, so that we would listen. I'm only going to say this once. This is how seriously God takes this. Does God love you? Yes. But you have the opportunity to turn away from that which keeps you from being restored in relationship with God. And that's by doing restorative justice with those who are in greatest need. So I'm going to invite you just now to focus on the questions for contemplation that we have on the screen and to ask God's spirit how it is that God is asking you and me to take action for God's justice and love for all. Amen.